This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. Glad to have you. Laura Lieberman, of course, from Cable 14. You see him there all the time going head-to-head with... Not an East German swimmer, though. No? But no, I'm not. Well... I'll leave it there. There's time. I'll leave it there. Uh, We have many things that I want to get to today because this has not been an uneventful week. Mm -hmm. You knew that was going to be the case as soon as you hear there's a sudden press conference at Queen's Park at 9.45 p.m. Mm -hmm. That was never going to end well. When someone calls a press conference for 9.45, it was was never going to be, hey, I just wanted to show you my new hairdo, although that happened. (laughs) Did Did Patrick not look like... Um, he was paying homage to that Seinfeld episode of the low flow. The shower? Right. The, the, the low flow the, nozzles yes, episode. Yes, with Kramer where he couldn't get the yeah. hair. Yeah. It was, I don't, I, I'll, I didn't understand that press conference. Certainly I understood the content of the press conference. What I didn't understand was that very thing. Why come out looking like you're a beaten, trampled, destroyed man. He may well be, but why? You've, we've only ever seen Patrick Brown looking a certain way, sure. looking put together and combed and all the rest. Yeah. I didn't understand why, th- and maybe there was a message behind it. Maybe there was some secret, subtle thing they were trying to portray, but it just looked like I've given up. I, I don't know what that would be. Perhaps uh, he'd look vulnerable to be looking less polished. Um, Maybe. Who knows what his advisors were telling him. I don't think day. there were any because they had all yeah, quit. Right. The rats all ran away. Yeah. M- Maybe we didn't notice in the very small print of that resignation thing. It was also Barber had left. Stylist. I mean, yes. Stylist. Yes, yes. I don't know because it was, just, it was, to me, it was very odd. It was, if you're going to come forward, like even when Bill Clinton was doing his, I did not have sexual relations with that woman thing. It's pretty good. Uh, he he at least had his hair brushed. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine if he had come out looking like he just rolled out of bed with a peep out the back and a whatever else. I mean, yeah. he would have said, what's going on? It just was odd. It was a, the whole thing was, was handled very oddly. And then to sprint out of there. And the shake in his voice. Well, now the, the shake in his voice, I understand. I, I believe wholeheartedly he was shaken at the I, time this happened. So I, that I get, but to not even show up looking like you've looked after, like you've combed your hair and then to sprint out, it just, whether he is or isn't, and I'm going to get to this in a minute, whether he is or isn't guilty. And we really. Guilty of what? Well, we really don't know. There are three people on the planet who really know what happened, but nonetheless, whether he is or isn't, he looked for all the world, like he was guilty of something. And it was, again, somehow, he's, he's been in politics a long time. He knows about the appearance part of things and how appearance can drive perception. So maybe the staff took the mirrors when they left. I, I, all right, let me get to that, though, okay. because we are not the mirrors part. Yes. The, yes. The, the, over the last couple of days, as people have really been talking about this and giving it more time, there have been people who have taken certainly stronger and stronger opinions on both sides of this. And there are a couple things that I've read and a couple things that I've been thinking. And first of all, what is he guilty of? Because I, when I hear this, and some people will say he's guilty of sexual assault. Uh, no. I don't see where the sexual no, by assault, legal sexual misdeed, sexual sexual clumsiness, sexual misconduct of some kind. I, I don't know what the word is, but I don't see sexual assault here. I'm not sure how um, specific uh, we can get into the two stories, but the stories are only at this point according to the alleged victims. And story number one was... Friendly, friendly, up until it gets to the point where he asked me for oral sex. I complied. The end. The only issue with that story is how young she was. But they met in a bar. She was above the age of consent. Like, it's not it's not great in any way, but there is nothing illegal about it. And the part about this that makes this confusing, and again, people are saying, well, yeah, but she was 14 or whatever no, it was, she, or 16 or... 18. 18, 18 okay. Was... He met her in a bar. I, th- I don't know if she's drinking in a bar. You would the expect- illusion is that she's older than eighteen. You would assume they've carded her at the door, I, 
And so when people have said, yeah, but she was really young, my answer to that has been, yes, it sounds like she was, but if she's in a bar, he wasn't trolling at schoolyards. So, so it's it's different. So let's assume maybe Patrick thought she was at least 19. So the the crime is a little bit creepy for yeah, an adult Patrick to be Agreed. with a much younger. The, the next one is, in a nutshell, um, friends are over at his house. They're watching TV in his bedroom slash bed. Other people leave, just him and the girl. They start making out a bit. She felt his erection on her leg. She said, stop. He did. He drove her home. There's nothing wrong with that except she was a subordinate. She was the intern. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. The Patrick Brown situation is about what's been been talked about all week. And neither of us see a sexual assault in what's going on. What he did was, you could argue clumsy. You could argue that it is a superior subordinate situation. Well, yes, that is valid as the and second be- girl was an intern. Yes. Uh, and in the, with the first one, you could argue, creepy. although it, it, creepy. So, however, where I have, and so I truly do believe that in the climate that we are in, that having those charges leveled against you is going to make it essentially impossible to run a party. And if the conservatives were to win an election to govern because mm-hmm. you are now perpetually, permanently, and indelibly stained with being a creep or being a sexual whatever. That's going to be all over him forever. So you can't. He could. I don't see how he could have stuck around. I don't. Here's the problem I have, though. And it's a broader thing, and it's not even necessarily, and we talked about this last night, it's not even necessarily a Patrick Brown scenario. It's with the whole social media thing that's going on right now, Patrick Brown never got, whether he could have or should have, he never got a assumption of innocence. He never got the presumption of innocence. And what happened was someone alleged this on a news story, and I have full faith in the reporter. I'm not suggesting the reporter didn't do his job, but someone broke a story. We don't have an opportunity to question the women to see if what they're telling is true. We assume it is. We've taken as gospel that it is, and it probably is. I don't, I'm not saying they're lying. I don't know. We don't know. And Patrick Brown, for all intents and purposes, as a public person, is toast in the span of about an hour. So that's, that is, that is lightning fast and breaks the thing we've had in our society forever of that presumption of innocence. Yes. And Andrea Horvath was asked that question directly. Um, due process and the rest of it. And she said some very disturbing things to me and should be disturbing to most Ontarians. She said that the um, court system is rigged against women. And that, that alone is the biggest problem on all of this. So if there is a modicum of truth to what she said, or even worse, if she actually believes that, because I don't believe that is true, um, that is a much bigger problem than Patrick going down over some inappropriate behavior. And and she backed up her claim with John Gomeshi, which would be great if you didn't follow the, the Gomeshi trial in any way where the alleged victims were lying constantly and changing their story and they, they presented a garbage case. That's why Gomeshi got off, not because things are rigged for those who bear a penis like it's and that the third most powerful and important person in provincial politics literally believes that our court system is rigged against half the population that's unacceptable then let's do something about that well for sure i i i don't i don't agree with her on that i don't agree with her on that but i also look at this and i think to myself i i I have no reason to think that most of the people who have been taken down with the hashtag me too thing and these allegations and the Weinstein and the Kevin Spacey and all these other ones, I have no reason to think that the vast majority slash all have not done what they were alleged to do. You nor I, nor anyone else, except for the people who are in that room 
know what happened. My concern with this is that we are reaching a point where people are destroyed before they can even offer any kind of a defense or an explanation. Because even if Patrick Brown on the night, whatever night it was, Wednesday night, even if he had an explanation, I'm not sure that it made any difference at that point. Even if there was a, and I don't, I'm not suggesting he did, but even if he had a reasonable explanation, I'm not entirely sure he wasn't toast already. Between the entertainment industry and politicians and other prominent people, there's probably a hundred male names that have come forward. To my best understanding, only Bill Cosby has ever been charged with a crime. It's, it's crazy. But what do you need to be charged with when you're already done? Well, what we ha- what has happened, yeah, it, well, that's the thing. We don't need, clearly, we no longer need a criminal court system. And some people would say, well, that's way over the top. Look, even if Kevin Spade, who, who's a better example? Even if Harvey Weinstein were to be charged and were to go to court and were to be found guilty, is he worse off than he right. is right now? And if he did the things he did, he should be charged. Yes, yes. And- and found guilty and serve his sentence. Yes. And if he goes to court and he is found guilty, I'm not sure his life is worse, or at least not, I don't want to make it sound like he's well, a victim there, here. I, but Freedom is good too. Not non-incarceration. But as far as being a, a guy who has been one of the most Your powerful people persona, in yes. Hollywood and now you're a pariah. Yes. And he is, and so I don't have the same lack of faith in our court system as some other people do. I still think that the answer to this is if you have a charge, you take the charge through the system and you, by and large, are going to get a fair trial on both sides of the coin. And we have, for, and this is the difficult part, for ages we have in the court system that you must be proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt because what's that old line? Better for... 10 guilty people to go free okay. than for one innocent man to go to prison. But not with this. So so let's compare what is happening in the Me Too movement to the argument that is often used against capital punishment, right? We can't have capital punishment because executing one wrong guy. But if you listen, and, and on this station earlier today, it was, well, so few women are making wrong allegations that it's irrelevant that we have to believe and and be this way. That You're listening to the Scott Radley show. Weeknights from 6 to 8 only on 900 CHML. They move away from Patrick Brown a little bit because they elected well they didn't elect. They chose a new leader temporary today. Yes. Uh, some people know him, some people don't know him. I'm a little surprised, frankly, that it's a him at all. I thought that maybe that would be something that the conservatives would want to not take any chances, that there could be anything that anyone would allege. But nonetheless, they chose a him, chose Vic Fideli. But my understanding from reading this today is that they have also said, we are going to have a leadership convention and choose a permanent leader before the election. Right. To me, that screams at the top of the lungs that they can offer. We don't really think it matters one whit who we put up as our leader. We can beat Kathleen Wynne. It doesn't matter if by the person we choose, if nobody knows that person when the election rolls around. If we only have three weeks left before the election, no difference. We really believe that Kathleen Wynne is so disliked that we could have Barney the Dinosaur run as our leader and he would knock off Kathleen Wynne. Well, Vic Fideli is a senior member of the caucus, um, comes with a wonderful leadership background and is scandal-free. The former mayor of North Bay, the uh, MLA from Nipissing, um, good family man, well-liked. And the problem with keeping him and not having the leadership is the inclusiveness that got the provincial conservative party, Patrick Brown, and got this platform with the input all falls out the window. That there's 200,000 members who have shaped the policy and have chosen the leader and then for suddenly caucus to move forward on it. It could very well be that they, that the membership chooses Vic Fideli. Um, but it's not the way the party has been moving the last couple of years uh, to do it any other way. But I don't think that the party anticipated 
that this would be a situation it would find itself in, that they are in a scramble to come up with a new leader this close to an election. So everything gets thrown out the window when you suddenly have the completely unexpected. And again, the fact that they're saying we're going to do this rather than say, here's our guy or our woman who's going to lead us into the election. And once we get there, we'll sort it out. The fact that they're going to do it, and it's going to take some time, and it's going to leave very little time for whomever to introduce themselves or really get to be known, tells me they either don't have any other better idea or they just really believe that they can put anybody up there and Kathleen Wynne is so toast that right. they'll win. Because if, if the conservatives were forecasted to come in third, then... You know, Vic Fidelli is interim, will have a leadership in six months or 18 months or whatever it is. It's not like he's going to be premier that we have to address this. That's the difference. This person is expected, whoever it is, is expected, is the favorite to become the premier. And potentially could be an improvement on Patrick Brown, on the pre-scandal Patrick Brown. Are you surprised, regardless of the squeaky clean reputation that he has... Are you surprised they did not choose a female to break away from any almost feeling of reminder of Patrick Brown, anything like that? I kind of thought that it was going to be... Lisa McLeod. Or uh, Elliot or Maroon, somebody. No, because Caucus is going to pick somebody from Caucus. Right, so Christine Elliott's been gone and invisible the last two. And I half, still thought years. it was. I thought it was going to be a woman. Today. I really did. I thought, I thought it, was it was going, going to, be to be Lisa McLeod for yeah. interim. Yes, yeah. I, I agree completely. Um, and then, I because think that, that also takes some of the ammunition away from the opposition parties, who will then say, "See, I mean, whatever you may come up with, it's it." it but it's, Scott, if you if you if you back this up a step at a time, they chose an interim leader, not knowing if he was going to be interim or not. Um, so if they went with a woman for the sake of woman and not saying that there aren't qualified women. Of course there are, yeah. Uh, um, that may or may not have been who they wanted for an election. So they have decided that Vic will be a suitable place stander uh, until. Are you surprised? I, when I was following stuff today and they were putting out who the favorites were for this, the name that came up, and I, I, I couldn't help but almost chuckle because I thought, there's no possible way they're going to have Doug Ford. But he was one of the favorites to actually be the, uh, at least online and, and other places. He was a guy whose name kept coming up, and I was like, I, really? I, I'm not sure that that's your way to go. That's probably not the solution to yeah, he may Brando's win. He could thing. he could win if it's a leadership convention. I'm sure he's going to run, but I'm not sure that was the response to a guy being chased out because of behavior issues, the brother of Rob Ford. Not the Doug has any, I mean, he's not the guy who did those things, but it's, it's the last name. It's close sure. enough connection in people's brains. Sure. And then the other big names would be, um, uh, Christine Mulrooney and Rod Phillips, which. What do you think, Christine? Okay. We know how Justin Trudeau did carrying the Trudeau name, which was a mixed bag across this country. There are those who love him. There are some who hate him. What about the Mulrooney name? Um, was, uh, Brian Mulroney was a wonderful politician in terms of how he connected with people. You sound Christi- just like him, by the way. Um, <laughs> um, here in, uh, Bay Como, uh, <laughs> wait, uh, Mila needs me. Um, I, he was a very popular politician for a time. They had a first family presence, um, unlike anything we've seen before, but in making that comparison to Justin. If you look at pre-political Justin, his CV, and pre-political Christine Mulroney, there's no comparison. She is a serious, accomplished woman. Ready to be premier? How would I know? And probably unlikely. But there's more than just a last name with that woman. She's never been a drama teacher? Not that I'm aware you're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. Because This to me is another tricky one. We're into the, the realm of tricky stuff that's going on. In the la- I, I don't know when it went up. Um, Friends is now on Netflix. You can go and watch the entire series of Friends. The 19, you know, probably the biggest show other than Seinfeld in the 90s, I would think. Those two were neck and neck as far as biggest shows. Yep. There are people now who are saying... Really, you can't watch Friends 
because there's too many things in it that are offensive in our times now. They made fun of gay people. They made fun of fat people. They made fun of this and that and the other. And therefore, the entire show is so offensive that if you watch it, really, it's, um, you know, you're out of line. And I don't really care about Friends, the show, per se. I watched it back then. I've probably watched two episodes since 1990s sometime. Mm -hmm. But times change. Yet our entertainment is a time, what am I looking for? A, like a, a, it's something that you can go back and look 50 years ago, 60 years ago. It's reflective of the times. If you watch movies or TV shows or something that are older that don't exactly reflect the times we're in now, is that wrong? If you enjoy it, is that wrong? Should we abandon, I mean, honestly, should we abandon entertainment vehicles, older movies, older shows that don't, that may have things in them that is not how we would talk or act or whatever today? Because um, social mores have moved in a certain direction doesn't mean that everybody's coming along with it. And if you're telling me that Friends is offensive, um, not that I've been watching a whole lot of episodes of Friends, um, and offensive to anyone, that's entirely news to me based on my recollection. Um, I think that, I guess that makes sense, Scott, because um, the way everything is moving and with political correctness and otherwise, that we will probably be just a couple years away from the Hollywood, um, the, the production code, right? You can't show a man and woman sleeping in the same bed. Any kiss has to have one foot at least on the ground, which is where the Back to I Love Lucy. But that there was actually rules for it. And I guess today's rules are going to not only be about um, positive sexual images, um, but uh, be that Hollywood should be a, a mandated to be level of inclusiveness and, and all that. It's nonsense. Well, the, what, the, what they're saying, what people are saying, and you can go online. I'm not making this stuff up. And there was a piece in the Toronto Star that followed this up because uh, there's a lot of people talking about it, that Joey on Friends is a serial sexual he's predator. Basically. He's misogynist and he treats women as chattel. And Ross is homophobic after his wife ran off with another woman and there was all kinds of discussion about his homophobia. And right, but, but there are they people... made fun of Monica because she had been fat once upon a time and on and on. And the list goes on and you should not find this funny. But there are people in 2017 who are misogynistic and homophobic. Yeah, but we don't find them. And the argument would be you're not supposed to find them funny. Don't we? You're not supposed to say you do. Some people do. Some people don't. But you can't, the idea is behind this, and look, go back way before Friends. You go back into movies, how many times in the movies of the 50s, 60s, 70s did you see a scene where a man went to, he grabbed a woman to kiss her and she was beating on his back with her arms because she was resisting and then just the moment and the love took over and she stops hitting his back and embraces and they fall in love forever. Well, that would be... By all accounts uh, today, horrendously offensive that's because assault. that's assault. That's assault. Um, so should we, the question becomes, should we then pack up all those movies and say those cannot be seen now because they represent something that we don't find acceptable? No. No. Then we would have to pack up all history. Um, this past Christmas season, I was actually shocked to listen to uh, Baby It's Cold Outside um, played on the radio. If you listen to the lyrics of that, it's a little bordering on rapey. Do you know? I'm I'm trying to think of the lyrics off the top of my head I, now, but I mean, I, I can, I, all I'm picturing he won't it is let from her Elf. Leave. Yeah, and it, she like it's if you take it out of the context of a Christmas Carol. Um, well, we talked about this a while ago on the show that it, you could never today, even though it's the Beatles, you could never today write Maxwell Silverhammer. A song about showing up at a woman's door and bashing her on the head with a silver hammer until she was dead and have it as a light, cheery, upbeat pop tune. That would never, that would never happen ever today. So do we never play that song again? This is the tricky part about this to me is not that you are encouraging you. We don't want to say, oh, that's fine. Beating someone over the head is high form of entertainment. There's lots of violence in certain genres of today's music and in movies and but but it has to be Lauren apparently it has to be 
I don't know. I mean, it's so complicated. That's what really this comes down to. It's entirely complicated now because you're allowed in a Quentin Tarantino movie, you're allowed to have the most visceral bloody violence ever as long as the victims are the right people. You can disembowel someone on screen as long as it's a Nazi or as long as it's a whatever. And look, who's going to be sympathetic to a Nazi? But zombies have rights too. (laughs) And watching The Walking Dead is is very upsetting to me. I think we need to find safe spaces for zombies. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. Peace in the Toronto Star. Picking up on a thread that is going on online. Now that Friends is online on Netflix. And is back being watched now by a by people who enjoyed it or watched it back in the 90s, but also the millennials and those who are new to it. Apparently, for millions of other people, Friends was a warm and hilarious portrait of life in the big city that would remain in their hearts forever. What it wasn't, however, was offensive. Until today, that is, when pretty much everything is offensive, especially in retrospect. And Lauren, again, talking about entertainment and other things, if we determine that, for example, Friends, because it, to some people has themes that we find uncomfortable or that are not what we would like people to talk about today or whatever. How do you not eliminate 90% of the movies and TV shows that were shown? How many TV shows of two white people living in a white picket fence, leave it to Beaver and Andy Griffith and there's all this. There's no inclusiveness in that. There's none. You could, you could literally go through almost any TV show there's or no any movie. no representation whatsoever from the LGBT community. Up until the 50s, 60s, 70s, you could get rid of everyone because you could find something in it that was offensive, a quote, quote, offensive. I have the solution. What's that? Those who find it offensive. Don't, don't watch <laughs> Don't watch it. Those who enjoy it can watch it. But they, but some would argue that's not the solution because people are um, watching it then and they're being exposed to this and they are going to then think this is how things should be done. Yeah, but I watched Friends and I'm not homophobic. I guess I didn't watch it hard enough to get penetrated in the mind of, like, that's lunacy. Come on. But we know that people have tried to ban To Kill a Mockingbird because of words that were used in there and themes. And we know that people. But that's worse. That's historical stuff. That's, but that's, but that's, you know, as well as I do, that's come up tons of times. We can't have this in our library. We can't have this taught in our schools. Huckleberry Finn is another one. There are lots of people who would say we can't let our kids be exposed to these kinds of things because it will lead them. You're a, you're a, not an older man. You're a yes. approaching middle-aged man. You're very kind. So you are sort of set and you, you have the, you, they would possibly argue you have the capacity to intellectually discern what you're watching. Whereas kids, but, we can't let kids see this. What are they going to get out of this? But a lack of exposure creates peanut allergies, right? And you're going to raise a society at the next generation who doesn't understand what the world is made up of. And I'm, and I'm sorry to bring the analogy of, of no. children's allergies. In no, it, no, I, it's, it's very apropos. It's, it makes a lot of sense. If you, if you're never aware of something from historical biases to how other people in today's world feel, um, I think there is a place that is that wonderful where everything is great and everyone is happy, but we don't all live in Disneyland. You know, it, it, I had a discussion with someone the other day. Uh, there's a show on TV that I've been watching a historical, well, it's a history channel show that started out really, really good. It's kind of seemed to me to go a little off the rails, silly now, but it's called hunting Hitler. And the premise is that Hitler may have actually escaped rather than killed himself in his bunker. It's a fascinating show. I have not made up my mind yet on anything that they've talked about, but it's really interesting to watch. But I was talking to someone then about Nazis with this, kind of with this context. Nazis have become this cartoon and not in a funny way cartoon, cartoon character of the very, every single one of them started and finished as the absolute essence of evil. And I said, yes, they probably, they did end up there if you were a Nazi, but to say that they were not human removes the possibility that this could ever happen again, that we remove any starting point, right? They didn't, I don't think that these people began 
at their absolute worst. They are human. They became worse and worse and worse, and eventually it was where they were. I'm not saying they started as angels by any stretch. I'm just saying if we simply take away any context, any thing, you lose sight The evolution of how people became what they are today, what they were then. Every horrible dictator in the world's history didn't start as the worst possible place they were. They became that. They started poorly. They started badly, but they got worse and worse and worse. If you remove any context is my point, and I'm probably not explaining it right. If you take away any context or any references, and the only time you see things is a stereotypical or almost not funny, but cartoon exaggerated version of these things, you don't learn anything. You don't understand anything. You lose sense of what happened and how things happened and how they became so terrible or frankly, the flip side, how things with different people became so good. But you can't, I, I look at this and certainly how we got from friends to Nazis, I'm not entirely sure, but the example is that if we have to remove anything that might upset us or anything that might include phrases or themes or anything else, that we don't like to consider and we just allow the extremes of either completely censored or completely ridiculous, we lose an awful lot. We lose an awful lot. Makes sense to me. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. Sean, I just wanted to read this because Sean tweeted about this. I'd rather have these things on TV and in books so I can be there to explain why they're, why they are wrong as opposed to the first time they're exposed to it by someone who believes it's okay and then teaches them it's okay because removing it from TV won't remove it from life. If you don't allow people to see different opinions or views or actions from the past, there won't be a reminder of the discussion of why it's wrong and we're doomed to repeat the mistakes, which Sean, you're absolutely right. And there is a saying about that that was offered once upon a time that those who Ignore or forget history or doomed to repeat it. So there you go. Anyway, we will leave that one alone. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. I don't know if you know who Lester Holt is. Lester Holt is NBC's anchorman now. He does a variety of shows. Gentleman of color, I believe. Yes. Moderates presidential debates. He does. He's a very, uh, he he is also on some of those news magazine shows occasionally and does the news and everything else. Anyway. Most people will recognize him. He's got round glasses, and you would know him to see him for sure. Everybody would. Yep. NBC, of course, is doing the Olympics, as they have done for years and years and years. This year, it's in South Korea. So, uh, and I assume most people know how the Koreas work. I don't want to be patronizing here, but it's a peninsula that is shared by North and South Korea. They're not the best of friends, although they seem to they be now. making strides somehow. But anyway, North Korea, which has become part of the story... I guess invited NBC to go and do some filming in North Korea. They said, hey, why don't you come and show the Americans how great we've got it? And so Lester Holt and his camera crew, as the story goes, went to North Korea, took the camera crew, and shot video and did stories from North Korea. The problem was... They only shot the parts of North Korea that they were told they could shoot. They only kind of told the stories they were told they could tell. They weren't given access to the places where the people are starving or being worked to death in prison camps or whatever else. And so there's two sides of this. There is the side that says, look, you're invited to this country that is a mystery, so you go and get whatever you can. Or there's the side that says, you don't go when you know you're going to be a pawn of the propaganda machine that Kim Jong-un is trying to portray. Which side would you fall on if you were running the NBC News and you said, we can send Lester or we can not send Lester? Well, I think you would send hoping that you can find some underbelly beyond whatever it is they're showing you, right? Uh, Do you really think that was there was any possibility of that? Well, because it wouldn't be very interesting to your viewers back home to just show them Korean, uh, North Korean propaganda. But that's essentially though, that's the, that's the knock against what happened is that it only showed what you were told you could show. And you know, Kim Jong-un is not saying, oh, would you like to see our nuclear reactors? 
Would you like to see our death camps? You know that was not being offered. There's always a chance that you might have seen something else. <laughs> and, and I heard that from someone else this week that said, you go, you get this, you leave, and then you tell everyone what you, didn't, what you weren't allowed to show them. Right. That would be the argument. Hey, what's behind that door? You talk about what you did, the room you didn't see. And is that, is that a good enough reason to go and do this and potentially be seen as being an arm of their propaganda uh, apparatus? I haven't seen the piece, but Pieces, uh, yeah. I, I seriously doubt that NBC has any interest in moving North Korea's agenda for them. No. I, I, look, I'm not arguing that he is buddy-buddy. Uh, he's not Dennis Rodman. Right. Right? He, he's, not, uh, he, he's not doing the hard, heavy lifting for them. But I would say, look, if, if I'm, if I go, I'm trying to think of another example. If I was to go to, what's the, what's the most, where do they do um, death penalty ex- executions in the States? If I was to go to a max security prison right. in, in Texas somewhere, and they said, yeah, you can have a tour of the prison, I would say, well, okay, but I want to be able to show not just the reasonably contented guys who are sitting in their not bad cells with TVs. I want to show death row. I want to show the room where this happens. I want people to see what really happens so, here. Okay, so you're David Frost and you get to interview Nixon, but you don't get to ask him all the questions you want. It's still better than not. That's an interesting d- way to, pr- to put it, for sure. The, that is an and, interesting comparison. And... And Frost said yes because he figured he would get Nixon talking and there was always a hope that maybe that other door would open. I'm so darn ingratiating that the rules will fall by the wayside when we get this thing started. There's always that chance. Okay, so that that's a fascinating comparison and I hadn't thought of that one, but that is that's a great example. Does that mean, though, what would David Frost, and I don't know the answer to this question, what would David Frost, and if you don't know the David Frost thing, there is a movie called Frost versus Nixon, yes. or Frost and Nixon, I can't remember which one it is. Uh, it's one or the other. Frost, look for Frost, Frost and look for Nixon. Nixon. Yes. Uh, it's, it's fascinating. But what if you're David Frost and you go there, and what Richard Nixon does is basically give you flat, boring, platitudinal answers that lead you nowhere? Do you still do a two-hour broadcast or do you whittle it down now and do you just say, look, we tried to do the, my point is if you are Lester Holt and you've been in North Korea, do you still do the broadcast? Do you still do the the things if you've got none of that? And so you feel now like you are being used. Um, I think that as much as whatever he was shown would be with a propaganda bent to it, um, that it is still a mysterious country. And that there is some value uh, to the mystery that the government does want to show us. I, I bet you there's still some interesting things that he was allowed to see. I wouldn't throw it in the garbage. I will be, I mean, I'm looking forward in only from a um, shockingly curious, I, I don't know even, when North, North Korea is cooperating somewhat with the Olympics now, somewhat, we don't. What's well, a joint team, right? Well, sort of. There's a joint hockey team for the women. The other participation of the North Koreans so far is they're sending a 140-person choir for cultural exchange of the, as described that I read this week, essentially, and again, if we're on the topic of people being offended, well, this is probably going to be offensive, but I'm just telling you what they're, of 140 North Korean beauties. These are some of the best-looking North Korean women who are being sent to represent North Korea to the world. Um, I I don't know what else, but North Korea is trying to ingratiate itself in some way to the world to show the world that, you know, we're not all bad. I'm going to be fascinated to see how that plays, to be honest, because I think that it's most people have a pretty good idea already what they think of North Korea. I don't know if this is going to change any minds. It might. It might. Lester Holt's broadcast, they might change some minds. People might say, well, you know, they got food on the shelves. It's only one store. It's only one aisle, but they got food on the shelves and it looks pretty good. <laughs> you know, they've got video stores with Betamax tapes. They, things can't be all that bad. I also think people don't know a whole lot about North Korea, period. 
That's true. Good, bad, or indifferent. That's true. They got nukes pointed at us. Beyond that, I'm not sure what people Well, know. 1972, when Canada went over to Russia to play the Summit Series, exactly. there were a lot of people, my parents included, who went over as part of the Canadian contingent because you could go over. My parents were not diehard hockey fans. They didn't go to watch Paul Henderson score. Were that turned Russian out to be spies? a bonus. No. But they were, they were fat. This was the one opportunity to actually see the Soviet Union. Because they didn't let a lot of people come mm. in or travel around, but you're with the Canadian you team. You needed a reason. And so, hey, here's a chance. We can go to the Bolshoi. We can see Red Square. We can see Lenin's tomb. We can do these things right. that we hear about. The hockey turned out to be a, an added bonus. But you're right. We don't know a lot about North Korea. We don't have a lot of... I don't think people do a lot of tourist traveling to North Korea. If they do, they don't come back and tell us about it because they're, they don't come list. back at all. Yeah. They don't come back at all. They, uh, they get put into work camps and get sent home when they're on death's door. We all know that store of that, um, right. that kid from the States, young man from the States. So yeah, I don't, um, I don't know what the answer to this is, but I get very nervous when dictators and despots begin allowing camera crews in, but determine what can be shown and what can't. That makes me very, very nervous. Even though, to your point, yeah, maybe we'll get something else. It makes me really nervous. It, I would have a hard time if I was NBC News saying, yeah, we'll do that. I, I'm not in full agreement with you. Well, you're allowed to. Yeah, thank you're you. You're allowed to. You're not a despot. Not yet. Not yet, but you know, Spider would give it time. Yes. Yeah, give it, give it time. Yes. We've got a few years left to full, move into full despot mode here on the show. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show weeknights from six to eight only on 900 CHML. I know you are a sports fan. I know a lot of people are sports fans. In the last week, we have seen a goal in a Toronto Maple Leafs game get called off for goalie interference that looked like it was nowhere close to goalie interference. We see a goal scored on goalie interference that looked like it might have been goalie interference. And then last night with the Edmonton Oilers in overtime, we see Connor McDavid make an unbelievable play, set up the game-winning goal in overtime, only to have it waved off for goalie interference again that nobody could even see. Why does every sport insist on bringing in instant replay? Because it's not about goalie interference. Every sport now has brought in instant replay saying, this is going to make everything better. And immediately, if not sooner, it makes everything worse. How, how are we still at the point where we can't sort out how, just let guys play, let refs ref, and if there is something that is slightly wrong, we will live with it because sports is not perfect. I don't understand why we expect absolute perfection when there's nothing perfect. Oftentimes, referees um, become the heel at sporting yeah. events, and they sign up for that. Well, it's been eliminated with the advent of. Well, no, it hasn't though, because now the referee stands at center ice or wherever else and announces something that nobody understands, that nobody saw, that nobody agrees with, and so he's just as much a heel. It's just delayed heelness because it's not off the immediate call; it's off the replay call. Right, except it wasn't his call. Oh, yes, it is. But you got it on the camera. Well, yeah, but he still sees it now a second or a third or a fourth. Which eliminates the human error. But they still make errors. This is the point. Even on the replay. Mm -hmm. And so if eliminating errors is the point of replay, but replay doesn't eliminate errors, why do we have them? The point of replay is selling more advertising for additional commercial. Oh, okay. Extending the conspiracy theory. No, it's not a conspiracy, (laughs) it's a fact. Broadcasters love that. Games that are being viewed go longer. You have more advertising opportunity. I think there's only one uh, league. I think the CFL that I know of is the only league that cuts away to a commercial immediately when a replay is called. People advertise on CFL games, yeah. All right. And so they, as soon as it says we're going to a replay, they go to a, a commercial. Mm-hmm. So they could actually monetize that. The other ones, I don't think they do. Although I, I can't remember, do they have advertising on the hood of the the C, the NFL one right. or do they have, I don't yeah. know if they do or not. But I'm simply so puzzled by the idea that we expect perfection 
from human referees, but we don't expect the same perfection from the players. And beyond that, if we do expect perfection from the officials, why bother having officials? Why not just have people up in a booth somewhere calling the game based on what they see on their giant plasma TV with the better angles. Why do we even have refs? The technology is available. Why wouldn't you use it? Why wouldn't you want to do your job better? Why wouldn't you want to be more accurate? Why in the world do we have home plate umpires in baseball calling balls and strikes when we can now have a computer do it perfectly? Right. But we do. So the one part of baseball, as an example, I've argued this before, the one part of baseball where more mistakes are made because it's more subjective Balls is, and strikes. The, is the one part that we refuse to actually remove. But every other part of the game, right. we say, if you tag him and his foot is off the bag by half a millimeter, we've mm-hmm. got to get that right. But a ball could be seven inches off the plate and you call strike three and we can't... Because it's part of the charm of baseball that that ump today is giving you the high strike, whereas tomorrow's ump won't. That's that's part of the charm. But if that's part of the charm, and I, I know people say that, but if that's charming, why is a blown call at first not charming? Why is a goalie interference call that we'd missed not charming? I feel bad. I don't have the answer for you. And I, I like, I, yeah, I'm, you're right. You're right. I am all for, I, I, I'm not all for. I can understand, I don't like replay in any way, but I can understand instant replay for things that are absolutely beyond subjective. Did the puck cross the goal line? And if you can absolutely see without any question that the puck crossed the goal line, so it's not... Well, was the goalie partway in the net or did his toe cross? If it's absolute. I have the reason now. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. But everything else, just it's so complicated. So sports is just a vehicle. It's it's just the meat in a wager sandwich. And we need to be accurate based on all the gambling that goes around any given game. But again, it's not accurate. We're getting. It's more accurate. Arguable. Arguably, Mm. what we are in the balance, if you were to be a team that plays a whole season and you you were just to leave it to human referees, human officials to call the games over the course of a season, you're going to get some breaks and you're going to lose some breaks. It's going to balance out. It's the same with replay. And I'm looking at this and the problem, Lauren, is that there's a lot of problems. The biggest problem is if you just look at this past week with the goalie interference, Mm -hmm. Nobody in the league has any idea what the rule is. Right, but that's very, you're bringing up an issue very different than, than replay. But, that's a, a nebulous rule that nobody seems to understand the definition of. But all of the discussions around this, all of these happened because you have allowed instant replay. That When the goals were scored, none of them were called goalie interference. It was only on replay. The coach challenged it and said, oh no, I think that our goalie may have been touched. So it wasn't that the ref made a call and didn't know the rule. The ref has the rule. The ref made the call. The coach said, let's see if we can throw a Hail Mary here and find some contact to wipe out that yeah, goal. but there's serious inconsistency to what's goalie interference and what isn't. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And no one knows it. No. But as soon as you bring in instant replay now to make it even more, co- let's slow. we don't know what we're doing. So let's slow it down. You know what that's like? That's like when you go to a foreign country and and you are... They don't speak English. And so, you you know, you say, where's the bathroom? And they look at you, you go, where is the bathroom? Like somehow slowing it down yes. and talking and louder, louder, louder is going to make them understand it better. That's what we're doing here. Instant replay is just slower and louder. And we still don't know. Hmm. And we still don't know. And so we're getting sports. I, like I really hate every time they go to a replay now for anything, for anything. I hate it. Because I don't understand what the point of it is. If you've got human officials, let them officiate. If you've got computers, use the computers. But it makes no sense to me to overlap the two of them. None. You could do hockey very easily by having a guy on the ice who simply drops a puck and then skates off the ice onto a bench. And all he does is come out to drop pucks. And everything else is done by a couple guys up in a room upstairs. And on the scoreboard, there's a big red light. And every time they... There's a whistle, the horn goes, and the light goes on to say, hey, we're stopping. I don't think that's that far away. Oh, I do. I do, because I oh, don't. in some sports. In some sports, it makes sense. Like what? Just don't 
don't take the human away from baseball. It's 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 part of the game in baseball more so than any of You know what I miss in baseball almost more than anything is the ability to argue with the umpire. Umpires with personality. Yes. Remember Ron Luciano? Ron umpire? Luciano, the umpire strikes back. I, he put on a show back there. Yep. It's beautiful. The, Ron Luciano, for those who don't remember, what, 60s and 70s, maybe into the early, early 80s. early 80s, yeah. And he had an ongoing... I don't even know. I never know if this thing was a real feud or if it was just a fun feud with Earl Weaver of the Baltimore Orioles. Sure. Uh, Billy Martin and him got in it as well. But Earl Weaver, and I remember reading Ron Luciano's book, and he and Earl Weaver pretty much had something almost every game. Mm -hmm. And he was doing a double... of his hat. Yep. They were doing a doubleheader. He was doing a doubleheader with the Orioles, and he tossed Earl Weaver out of game one because he was yelling and screaming. And Earl Weaver came out to hand the lineup card for game two and made some comment. He tossed him out before the game yeah. even started. Didn't even awesome. wait. Just tossed him. You had personality. I I don't, I, I like officials with personality. Bill Friday, Hamilton guy, sure. had personality on the hockey rink. There are other people. Um, Red Story. Way back. You can watch the old black and white NHL mm-hmm. films. You had a guy with personality. I just, I hate the... No slight at Foxy, but I can't think of any NBA or basketball official with personality. They don't want you to. The one guy that had... No, they want you to the in one, any sport. No, the one guy that had it was... It's one of Foxcroft's friends, one of Ron Foxcroft's friends, and a, a Crawford, Joey Crawford. He was a bald guy, an older bald guy who just retired a year or two ago. And he was one of the NBA guys that actually had... I don't know if you remember the old clip from years ago where he had a race with Charles Barkley. Barkley was running backwards against this ref running forwards. It was a joke at halftime. <laughs> uh, but no, the, the leagues have drummed personality. They want their officials to be automatons. Mm-hmm. And again, if you want automatons... Then use a camera. Use a camera. Use a computer. If you don't want automatons, let them be human. Mm-hmm. What we are missing in sports is personality. Because they've all become so professional that we have very few people that are personalities. But this goes right back to the beginning that we are expecting now absolute perfection. In the Super Bowl next weekend, if a guy catches a ball by the sideline and his toe, because with the cameras that will be there and everything else, if he is one blade of grass touching Mm -hmm. white, he's going to be ruled out. Even though it was a magical catch that probably may have been in, but we can't really tell, but... I don't love that. I don't love the fact that we're doing that. Let the refs call the game and live with it. Let the refs call an accurate game. Call an accurate or inaccurate? An. An accurate. Well, it could be either one. But look, I. what was the guy's name? Uh, the pitcher for Detroit, who's again is eluding me, who threw the perfect game a couple of years, a few years ago. And Jim Joyce blew the call at first base. Right. And he didn't get the perfect game that he should have. Yes. Now, I'm disproving my very point right now because I can't remember his name. But my thing is, that blown call, more people are aware of that game and that guy throwing a perfect game than most of the other perfect games that have ever been thrown because we all remember... Max Scherzer? No, it wasn't Scherzer. It was a, he was a, uh, he was a Latin player. and But the point is... There are, I think, 18 or 19 pitchers that have ever thrown a perfect game. Mm. Most of us wouldn't know any of them. We know the one that was thrown in the World Series. Right. Uh, We know probably in Canada, we know about uh, Dennis Martinez, uh, El El Perfecto. Dave Steve's close attempts. Yes, but they weren't perfect games. They were one hitters. But the fact is, the fact that there was a blown call made it memorable. That that made it stand out, oh, even though he lost his perfect on. game. He no. everybody knows. See, here's the thing: everybody knows he threw a perfect game. It doesn't register as one, but everybody knows he did. Everybody knows that he threw a perfect game. He's not going to be in the Hall of Fame for having the blown. If he had no, he he didn't have enough other games to get in there. But if he had another perfect game. Or if he had a Hall of Fame-ish career and had no, another that's perfect a Hall of game. Fame moment. There's not just careers. Well, there's, there's moments. That's true. Paul Henderson. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I'm I'm just I'm so done with every instant replay. I would be thrilled and delighted if sports as a whole simply just, threw it all out. Scott, just stop watching if it's not pleasing you. 
It's not important to you, is it? <laughs> <laughs> the the sports themselves, I love. When they stop and they go, we're now going to look at our iPad 47 times, mm. and we're going to see if we can see anything here. That And here's the other problem with the, NA, with the NHL. This is a league that can't find goals. It struggles to cre- to have offense created. Now they put in replay after replay after replay that serve what purpose? There is not one single instant replay that gives thing you a goal that, that would allow yes. you to create a goal. Every single replay eliminates goals. Offside by a tenth of a skate blade, goalie interference, this, that. Every single rule works to eliminate rather than create. And that's the same in every sport, I think. I can't think of a case where, well, maybe a baseball with a home run, whether you rule that it was out or in based on replay. Right. Other than that, though, every replay exists to stop something exciting from happening. Hmm. Why do we want to do that? We want more excitement in our sports. I'm waiting for instant replay to come into boxing or MMA, UFC, something like that. I don't know how they would use it, but let's let's stop the fighting now to see. Oh, did he? Did they butt heads? Or I mean, who cares? Sure, Just, but you, in boxing, you would use a computer and a camera to score a match, not to ref a match. But you can't do instant replay. The judges can't. No, I get it. But I, but in terms of taking away the human error, you've got three judges who score things uh, correctly, sort of correctly, and wrong. Yep. Um, when you have the panel, that doesn't make any sense. There there was a number of punches that landed, or there wasn't. Why wouldn't you want accurate scoring on a on a boxing match? I think that boxing, this is totally off track, we got to go to a commercial. I think boxing has missed the point. I think they should go back to the old days, and they keep fighting until one of them gets knocked out. You want to go 162 rounds? Take the gloves off, too. 162 rounds, back in the days of, yeah, when Marcus of Queensbury rules yes. with the old pose, with yes. the hands cocked back. Yeah, let him go. Let I him go. Agree. And then we, while we're at it, we should bring back live pigeon shooting to the Olympics, which happened, which was a sport once upon a time. You know they did that? They actually had live pigeon shooting. We don't shoot pigeons. No, we don't do that anymore. No. That, could you imagine if the Olympics tried to bring that back? Oh, yes, we're, we're bringing in some introductory sports, including shooting live, live fowl from the air. That would go well. There's a lot of things that we don't do anymore. That's true. One of them should, things we should stop should be instant replay anyway. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. Um, We are, well, we know that come next, later this year, we have a municipal election Mm. arriving. And we have our first, I would categorize as serious contender for the mayoralty. Uh, Vito. Vito. Scro. Thank you. Uh, Again, I don't know the man. Uh, I'm sure he'll be on here on the show at some point. I would love to have him. Sure. So we're not going to talk about veto today per se, because I can't really offer a whole lot at this point. Mm -hmm. But what I find interesting, do you think Fred Eisenberger is defeatable in this election? Very much so. You really do? Very much so. Because last time he was the mayor, the stadium fiasco was in full bloom and the city was as divided as I've ever seen it. And you were either for the stadium and for the Ticats or for or against the stadium and the Ticats. And it was Fred Eisenberger or the other side. And it was clear cut. It was, there was anger. I really felt, and it was clear, clear cut. I know the LRT is an issue right now. And I, I just don't have the same feeling that there is the same rage right now that there was. There is rage. I know there is. With the new ward boundaries. That's, uh, yeah, that's true. And a lot of rural and suburban votes uh, will remember which way Fred voted. And additionally, if a candidate came along who was anti-LRT that could paint a picture of what could be instead of, we know from fairly recent polling that the majority of Hamilton is not interested in LRT. Now, the LRT, interestingly, the LRT debate, right back to come full circle to where we started today, I think gets thrown into a little bit of flux because Patrick Brown was on the record saying, 
Ham- if he was elected, that Hamilton wouldn't have to take the LRT. It could get the whatever money. Whatever the will of whatever the will of council, was, but the money that was earmarked would remain with. Yes, because Ted McMeekin had implied or said directly, I can't remember which, that if you don't take LRT money, you go to the back of the line. The money is gone. Patrick Brown said. If you don't take LRT, but you choose to have rapid bus transit or something else, right. that money is still yours. Mm-hmm. That was unclear. I don't know what happens with Patrick Brown now gone. I don't know if the Policies new, should remain the same. You would think, yes. but you'd, we don't know for sure. But nonetheless, policy should remain the same. So, I don't know. I, th- there's the LRT thing. You're right. There's the ward boundary thing. I just don't have the sense that maybe it's because there's not one central issue. There's a bunch of issues that you don't, that I don't get the sense of the same level of frustration and anger that the stadium brought. And weirdly, I think it's weirdly because the stadium was relatively small potatoes, you know, relatively speaking, because we were only putting in a certain amount and it was one little block, city block somewhere, whereas the LRT is much bigger and ward boundaries are a lot bigger. I disagree, Scott. I think the majority of Hamilton did not care about the stadium, but did care about a perceived lack of leadership or an actual lack of leadership, that there's um, a, a small fraction of the city is uh, all that interested in the Ticats, the comparatively may, speaking. Well, and and I say a, a few moments ago, you were with the Ticats or you were against the Ticats. You were with Fred Eisenberger at that time, or you were against Fred Eisenberger. I mean, it was, it, and when you would talk to people at Tim Hortons or wherever else, there was not anybody who didn't have an opinion. Whether it really mattered to you, mm-hmm. you had an opinion. Nobody was agnostic about the stadium fight. Everybody had a side they were on. So council has been operating long enough now under the premise of there is no option. Um, and LRT is happening. And the only anger would be in how it's been bungled um, with only Councillor Donna Scully suggesting until it's built, it doesn't need to be built. Right? That's not really... Uh, um, uh, nobody has really had the debate of should we or shouldn't we. And I think a mayoral candidate could come in there and make that the uh, the question. They're not going to debate it unless they think it's a question. Well, and the mayor two or three weeks ago, I can't remember how long ago it was, I believe he was speaking at a Chamber of Commerce meeting or some other meeting along those lines, said you should be voting for candidates who support the LRT. And I listened to that. And to me, that was a really interesting comment that he made because if you're going to throw the gauntlet down and say vote for candidates supporting the LRT, what is not said is, or... Vote for candidates who are against the LRT if you're against it. I mean, he was positioning it to an audience I think that he believed was going to be in favor of this position. We want the well, LRT. if he was speaking downtown, he was. Exactly. But when that gets out and you're thinking, all right, our mayor is throwing, drawing a line in the sand and saying, here is the position on which you should be voting. I listened to that and I thought, I'm not sure that that was a brilliant maneuver to be throwing that out there and to be reminding people you can vote for that. That oh. can be a voting issue. Um, on the October elections a long time away. It is absolutely going to be a thing. And a candidate with a well-staffed, well-funded, well-executed campaign um, centralizing on that as well as other issues um, could absolutely topple uh, Mayor Freddie. Is there any doubt in your mind. And I don't know, again, I, I, I look forward, if if he becomes a serious candidate, I look forward to chatting with Vito. Vito Scro, um, is there any doubt, though, whether it's he or someone else, that somebody will launch a mayoral bid on that premise that sees an open door and says, I will be the anti-LRT candidate and let's go, let's have this battle. Can you imagine a scenario when we get to voting day that there hasn't been someone who has carved out that position. I guarantee that that position will be filled. You know someone who will do that? Sure. And are we talking about Vito Scro or talking about someone else? Vito can speak for himself. No. Or are you thinking, is there another candidate though that I'm saying that you know of? The position of an anti-LRT mayoral candidate All will, right. will be filled. That, see, to me, that's, that is, that is going to be, uh, it's a, there's two parts to this. I think people are fatigued beyond fatigued with the LRT. That's the first thing. I really believe they are done with the LRT. I, 
That said, I don't see this thing going away, as you say, through the election, which means whether we're fatigued or not, it's going to be carrying on as an issue. And those who are really in favor, especially those on council, quite honestly, I believe made one catastrophic error, and that is dragging this thing out so long that shovels couldn't get in the ground before a municipal and provincial election, or at least so far along in the planning and everything else that it really, there was no possible turning back. It really doesn't serve me well if I ever criticize Councillor Matthew Green, as uh, even though I'm not on Twitter, uh, I take a whole lot of punches there from him. Um, And I welcome it at at the expense of clarifying that his motion of making sure that uh, the HSR and making unionize the rest of it cost that project many months and but could very well cost the project from being an election issue. And that, that is one of the- It's not a criticism. It's an actual statement no, and, of fact. And, on and, my that's, and that's part. one of the issues that came up and one of the motions that slowed oh, yeah. it down, but there have been others. Sure. There, but this thing, if you had really wanted the LRT and you wanted to make sure it happened, this thing could have been dealt with somehow. I mean, I know there's been discussion, but if you really wanted to make this thing move, it could have been done long before now. Or, or they did the best they could and this- is an example of how well this council and this city hall can handle a major project. And perhaps there's a telling sign in that. I will say this. We've got to go to our last break. I will say this. I bet you money that whoever gets on council next time, they're going to have to deal with LRT in all likelihood, depending. But they are praying that they don't have a stadium and LRT, another problem. Let's go through a term of council where we just have to deal with the simple stuff. You know, they, they'll never say it publicly. They don't want to deal with an issue like this again. They would love to have area rating, all this stuff. They which don't gets completely messy now that the ward boundaries have I know. changed. We want, we want to not have the, these, and they're not going to go away, but they would love to have. Well, everybody wants their job to be easy. That's absolutely true. <laughs> Thank you. The Scott Radley Show. The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.